Welcome to the Mothers You Know podcast. Thank you for being here. This is a place where we as women remember the spirit God gave us. We know how much we matter and we believe all things are possible to them that believe on this Savior Jesus Christ. Here at Mothers You Know, we support the parents of young men in the Sons of Healman and young women in the Daughters of Light programs at Life Changing Services. These programs provide therapeutic and mentoring services for youth struggling with depression, anxiety, self-harm, pornography, and any other unwanted or difficult behaviors. We offer parent support, training, and resources for mothers and fathers seeking the best way to support their loved one. Any mother is welcome to join in the Mothers Who Know classes support and training. You do not need to have a child in life-changing services to join in. We hope you'll join us. I am Karen Broadhead. I serve as the director of Mothers You Know, and I serve as the parent support specialist at life-changing services. I invite you to join with me and other mothers from across the country in our Warrior Mothers Who Know online support and training group. If you have a child struggling with pornography, depression, anxiety, or other difficult behaviors, you will find a safe and uplifting place to learn from other moms and learn principles and strategies to best support your loved one. Please go to motherswhoknow.org to find the online meeting details. We talk about difficult things here with the intent to shine light in dark corners and to eliminate isolation and shame. We are mothers with warrior hearts who are raising the warriors of this generation. We know we must learn to fight well for ourselves first, then we can confidently support and cheer on our loved ones in the best ways. Hello and welcome. I'm so glad that you're joining us. We are excited to be talking about a really important topic today. I'm here with three awesome women who are also mothers and have lots of other roles, I think, that, that, that they could tell you about, but we're not going to take a ton of time telling you all about all the things we're interested in and who we are, but we are going to tell you a little bit about our families so you can have a perspective on this topic that we're going to be talking about. We're talking about mental health and the importance of mental health because we're leading into considering what if there was such a thing and it was super normal to have a mental health checkup like every six to 12 months, just like you do a dentist appointment or a pediatrician's appointment, you know? What if that was just a thing? We just knew that that is so important and just focused more in educating ourselves first about how do we talk about mental health in a real normalizing way with our families? And so it's just like, yeah, we all have teeth. We need to brush them. You know, we, we all have to go to the dentist and figure that out. That's important. Otherwise, our mouth starts to hurt and we lose things like our teeth, you know? So it's just important to think mental health is kind of like that. Like if you just wait until something is ready to be a big problem and hurts a lot, there's a lot of work to be done there and a lot of awareness that was missed. And I think mental health is a been something in our lives that 
is growing in awareness. But we just want you, as you're listening, to just kind of pretend like you're in this discussion with us and ask yourself, what would I think? What would I have to add to this conversation? What is my personal experience with this topic of mental health as we're discussing this? So I'm just going to read something very quickly by Maurice Harker. He's the director of Life-Changing Services. He's written the book, Like Dragons, Did They Fight? And he's the, yeah, he's the founder of so many of our awesome programs and mothers who know is a parent arm it's an arm of life-changing services and so this is what he says he says we have reached a time in history when it is time to change the way we approach mental health and self-mastery there was a time when dentists and pediatricians were not readily available it is now Commonly understood that it is wise to have dental and or medical checkups every six to 12 months to catch any unpleasant surprises before they get really bad. It is time for us to approach mental health and self-mastery the same way. Yeah, so let me tell you just a little bit about me in case you don't know me. I'm a mother of five. I have a blended family. My husband, he's my second husband. And when we blended our families, our oldest was six. Our middle, he was a boy. Our middle daughter was four. And our youngest boy was almost three. And now, all these years later, we have those three children. Now are all adult children having children. And so I have 10 grandchildren and then I have a 10 year span from those three adult children to my two young adult children who are 21 and almost 20. And it has been really interesting to notice. It wasn't something I expected or even thought of at all when my kids were young, like mental health. I didn't really think about that, but I did notice for me personally that when I got a divorce, I was so ashamed to be having a problem in my life that would disappoint my parents and be a bad example to all my younger siblings because I was second oldest of seven. And I knew that would be so scary for my parents because no one had ever gone to therapy. No one had ever had a big mess. I was kind of like the first adulting child to have a mess. And now there's been lots of adulting children and lots of messes. And my parents are a lot more open to messes are a real thing. But when I noticed that I needed to get some therapy and think about my own mental health and figure some things out. I did not tell my parents. I knew they would feel so not comfortable with that. And I also, when I found out I would benefit from taking an antidepressant, I kept that from my parents forever because I didn't want them to know that that was something that I was struggling with because I got the impression. I don't think they ever said it right out loud, But I got the impression that people who need help outside of our home for mental reasons are people who really are messed up. (laughs) And we just read more scriptures, sing more songs, and pray harder. 
that's the way you do things like that. And so it was just, that's kind of my experience. But in my own family, we have a predisposition. My children between me and my ex-husband, my husband, current husband and his ex-wife, we have all these predispositions to some mental health challenges, you know, in our gene pool. And so it has been really interesting to notice that I didn't expect anybody to have any issues or need any support outside of our home for mental health or self-mastery, but every single one of my five children needed support outside of our home for something, whether that was medication or going to see a counselor or therapist, but we, yeah, we had depression and bipolar and anxiety, as well as like, this is a big stressor or a big change. And we don't know how to enter into this new situation and deal with everything else that's required of us right now, or even relationship things that really affected our mental health and our ability to show up in our life. We needed some support with relationships. So anyway, we've come a long way. So I'll just have you gals, Sarah, and then Lucretia and then Kelly, just if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself kind of like I did. Here's kind of what this is and just say what it, what's ever on your mind when it comes to mental health and your experience. Yeah, Sarah, please. Well, hello. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. My name is Sarah Cook and hindsight is 2020. I realized I should have started having mental health checkups for myself when probably I was around 10, 11 or 12. And I was being bullied for being the fat girl, not just from people at school, but from, I actually heard really negative comments from my great grandmother about my weight. And I went through puberty faster than anybody else in my little class. We were in a tiny little school and I had about 16 students in my class. So you can imagine the attention on the one girl, the one student who is, you know, maturing faster and and things are happening different than everybody else. And so for those next three plus years, I had a lot of um, body dysmorphia and I developed an eating disorder, which never was treated. Never. I never got help for any of that, but I developed what I now know would be considered bulimia and struggled with that for many years and never got any help. Never, no one even knew. My parents didn't even know. I hit it very well and I managed it very well in that it was just my little secret way of controlling my life. I also, during that same time period, looking back, know that I experienced scrupulosity, which is AD, uh, which is OCD over religious issues. I also experienced OCD in other different areas. I also experienced insomnia. I experienced depression, anxiety, a lot of anxiety, and none of that was ever addressed, never treated. And then when I went to college, I started dating and eventually met my husband who also never had any of his mental health uh, concerns addressed. His mom had cancer for six plus years. She died when he was 14. He was abused, neglected, abused in every possible way by his father, every single one of their the children in their family. And I'm not sharing anything that's private. This is all public information, but I had no idea that that 
would impact our marriage, that it would impact our children, that, you know, he never went to a therapist. He never got any help for any of those things that were uh, obviously very, very difficult to deal with the trauma of being abused, the trauma of losing a parent, the trauma of the neglect, all of those things. So we got married. We, uh, a couple of years later, had our first child who is now 25. And I had severe postpartum depression. I was suicidal for about a year. Also never got help because I was just supposed to have more faith, get better, you know, suck it up, read the scriptures, pray harder. I went to the temple every single week, bawling my eyes out saying, Heavenly Father, you made me, you created me and you need to fix this. I eventually somehow through the grace of God, got through it, got to the other side of that. And after I was a year, you know, a year past um, having, giving birth, I started finding out from my friends who were also new moms that, oh, they were on medication. And so when I went to have my second child, I told the, the, my OBGYN, like, you will prescribe me something because I'm never going to face what I experienced before. I am lucky to be alive because I literally wanted to end my life every day of the first year of my son's life, which complicated how you can attach to your child. Like the, there's definitely problems with attachment. If you're struggling as a mother, your child has problems with attachment that can cause problems later on. And I had problems with you know, my marriage, I had problems with attaching to my own child, forming healthy bonds to my own child, because I was so depressed and really struggled with my, with my next child, my daughter, who is now 22. I did struggle with postpartum with her as well, but I did take medication for a little bit and managed to, you know, work through that better. I still was struggling with scrupulosity. I was still struggling with OCD. I was still struggling with now what I know is ADHD and never got any help for any of those things, which you can imagine might have a negative impact on children. And then a few years later, I had my third child who is now 18 and we moved when he was two weeks old to a totally new state aware away from all of our support and six months later, my husband was nearly dead because of undiagnosed autoimmune issues. So now you bring in three children, all under the age of seven, new location, a, a parent who is in and out of the hospital. And you can imagine the childhood trauma that my children experienced with a mom who's struggling with mental health, with a dad who's on the verge of dying any, any moment. And that was that none of us during that whole time over the last 18, 20, you know, 20 plus years have, none of us had any help until I got help. And that only happened in 2015 when I had fallen and I had a concussion and all of a sudden I had anxiety so bad. I thought I was going to die. And my depression was so intense. I, I could literally not stop myself from wanting to to end my life. And a friend of mine said, you know, you really might consider medication. And I felt like such a failure. I felt, I just felt like I had completely failed to have to be on medication, but I did get on some medication and the response from my family, and I'm not going to say who to protect their privacy was how long are you going to have to be on this medication? And I felt so crushed that I didn't have the support from my family 
because I, I, and I just said, you know, I will stay on it until I don't want to kill myself. That's how long I'm going to stay on this medication. Mm. And so fast forward another year, we started seeing some pretty horrifying symptoms in our own children. And, and I guess I should insert here that from 2003 to 2015, we lived in a house that we had no idea had toxic mold. So while the medical profession doesn't want to say that that was why we all struggled, my own uh, research and my own process of becoming a brain health coach through Amen University has absolutely identified that toxic mold or mycotoxin illness from toxic mold can absolutely negatively impact your brains. And so my husband has mental health issues. All three of my children have mental health issues. And of course, I've talked about my own mental health issues because of all the things we've experienced. We have experience, if you will, with psychiatric hospitals. We have experience with eating disorders, ADHD, OCD, depression, anxiety, borderline personality disorder, wilderness treatment center, our wilderness treatment programs, therapeutic boarding schools, dealing with IEPs from special education programs. We've hired lawyers. I mean, we've been through it because of the lack of mental health support. And I wish that it had been okay for me to get help when I was 10 or 11 or 12. And to have gotten that support, maybe I wouldn't have had the eating disorders. Maybe I would have been able to handle the trauma that we were going to face down the line. Yeah, it's a big deal. Sarah, thank you. All right. Thank you. I feel like I want to take a deep breath because this is, (laughs) this is such an important topic. And, you know, Sarah and you, I mean, you, you bring up such good points because I'm older than either of you. I have four adult children. My oldest turns 43 tomorrow. And my youngest is 30. There's a lot of years between them. But I, you know, I actually struggled with severe trauma since I was six, actually since I was five. And I have a very unusual situation. And it is that I was not raised by my biological mother. I was raised by my father's sister and aunt. But my parents came every day and had dinner with us, but I lived with my aunt. And so I knew I had a mother. The person who was my mother figure was my aunt. And she died when I was five. And unfortunately, no one addressed that. No one addressed the fact that I had just lost my mother. And I made a lot of decisions as a five-year-old that I actually live by as an adult. I mean, I decided when I was five that no one else was ever going to raise my children. And even when I worked, I, you know, I got a job working as a co-author on a junior high school science textbook series. And I, after I had children, I used to literally get like four hours sleep a night because I had to get up in the middle of the night to write because I wasn't going to have anybody watching them during the day so I could write. And so I would put them to bed. I fall asleep with them and I force myself up and I'd write while they were asleep. And then when my little one would get want to nurse, I'd go back to bed and I'd fall asleep and then I'd force myself up to write. And so, I mean, it was, it's a, it was a crazy thing, but that was a decision I made when I was five. And I, I live by that. And it's also a reason I, I, I 
because of that, not wanting, you know, I, I had learned the importance of a mother. I mean, the reality was for me in terms of my mental health, you know, my life, the foundation of my life would just collapsed. And even though I had a biological mother, she was a working mother and God bless her. I mean, and I know this meant something for her too. She lost her child because I have an older brother too that, that lived with, you know, we lived full time with my aunt and, and this way my mother could work and so on, but it was a strange situation and it has affected my mental health. It affected me raising my children. And I started getting counseling when I was in, when I was pregnant with my last child. And I always, I just got to the point where I had to go into counseling because I, like Sarah, had gotten to the point where I didn't want to be on the planet anymore. Yet I could not do that to my children. I could not abandon my children by taking my own life. And so it scared me enough to go and get mental health help. I mean, I went to see a counselor and, you know, and this idea of mental health checkups with, I mean, I don't know, maybe it'll, it's with our generation, but Karen and Sarah, I mean, I always grew up the same way. I mean, if you needed to see a mental health counselor, there was really something wrong with you. I mean, and if you had to be on medication, oh, I mean, that was even worse. So, you know, for a long time, I mean, I really fought even, you know, getting help because I don't know who I don't know who they thought went to see counselors but it was like something you just didn't do I don't know it just what I was raised with was no matter what was going on you just kept walking keep walking keep keep doing it just and so I I literally I and until recently I I until I had started getting some mental health counseling felt like I was pushing myself through life I just literally was pushing myself through life because I there was no other way to say it. And then I also felt like I was afraid to die though. Then it got to the afraid of die because I felt like I hadn't lived yet. Like, okay, when do I get to start living? <laughs> because I had anxiety, I had depression and so on. I mean, fortunately I didn't have severe postpartum depression. And so, you know, I was blessed that way. And I did get on some medication for a while and Fortunately, one of the medications I had to get off of because I got addicted to it and that was not helpful. But the idea that I, I, I normalize, I, you know, when Karen, when you first asked me about this, I thought to myself, oh, we have the perfect example how important this is by, you know, now her, her, her first name's gone by, but oh. uh, Simone Biles, you know, when Simone Biles said that, you know, for mental reasons, for her mental health, and also she was just afraid of injuring herself in the Olympics. For the first time, I think, you know, we had somebody saying, you know what, this is really hard and I need to take care of myself mentally. And she just very proudly talked about that. And I thought that was a real win for the mental health community, for all of us to say, you know what, we need to take a step back when things start getting really tough. And and take care of it. So the idea of that, you know, especially to get other people, you know, to get people on board with that and the medical community on board with it. Although now I do see, you know, one of the things when you go recently, when I've gone to emergency room or I've gone to the doctors, they actually have a safety checkup. You know, do you feel safe at home? Do you have anxiety? Do you have depression? And so they are being more aware of it. But it's unfortunate that growing up, at least for me, 
you know, I, you know, there was just, <laughs> it just didn't matter. I, I mean, I just, you know, so oh, I, I just think this is, I, I can't, I can't express how important this topic is. There's, it's just such an important topic because it has held, at least in my life, it's been such a secret. It's been so secretive and sinister almost. Like, you know, there's something wrong with you if you have to, like you said, Karen, go outside the home and get outside help. And for many of us, it's just been a light, it, you know, it, it's a lifeline. I'm grateful that through a lot of answers to prayer, I've been connected. Like, like, you know, I guess getting connected with life-changing services, it's, it's such a, an appropriate name because that's what's happened for me. It's, it's been with all the years of counseling that I've been in and out of counseling all these years. And I really, in the last year that I've been associated with the mom power training and life-changing services have made the most progress and just little things like Maurice just will tell you like, well, you know, you don't have to let your thoughts just take you down the stream, like your thoughts and your emotions, like you don't have to follow your emotions wherever they go. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do you, you know, what do you mean? And obviously there's training so that you don't have to, you know, allow your emotions to take you wherever they want to go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like revolutionary to me. It's like, oh, really? Like, why didn't somebody tell that to me years ago, you know, or, and give me training on how not to be swept up by these emotions and everything. So, and not to say that, that grieving is not a process. I mean, that's the other thing is that I think, you know, just like Bessel van der Kolk in his books talk about the body keeping the score. I certainly think our bodies hold trauma and hold sadness and so on that it needs to be processed. And I, and again, I think that's what good mental health counselors help you to do is to help process that so that it can just, you know, it can be moved through you and so on. And with, and, and I guess what I also like about life-changing services is they acknowledge that the true healer, that they don't heal, that there is only one true healer and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and Heavenly Father. So that helped me too, to recognize. But Again, like Sarah said, you know, the answer is, and you said, the answer isn't just reading more scriptures and checking more boxes and that kind of thing. There has to be some other type of outside help and counseling. Thank you. So awesome. Sarah, you had something to add. I just wanted to kind of add on to what Lucretia said about um, the, the transformational piece that life-changing services brings with so many different net, so many different arms of support. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I was looking for support for a child, but really I found support for myself and that really has helped everybody. You know, when I got support for myself, then I could better support my husband, my children. And so as a mama, I think it's just so important that we focus in on partnering with the savior to heal our own trauma. And then we can reach out and be better stewards of being able to support those who are, who are entrusted to us. Excellent. And Lucretia, you had one more thing. You yeah, I don't. Yeah, I do. I just want to say too, that again, what you said in terms of generational stuff really applies to, because my maternal grandmother suffered from depression and 
you know, I think on my mother's side of the family, especially, there was more of that. And it just reminded, reminded me of a book that I, I read once that called It Didn't Start With You, that this trauma can, there is something called generational trauma. And as you know, it's been documented. And so some of this is some, something you may just have inherited. Yeah, so good. Thank you, ladies. Okay, Kelly, tell us a little bit about your family, about your wow. initial thoughts about mental health. Well, I will just say that I just so appreciative of my family because I was a person like Sarah and Lucretia who should have been seeing someone very, very early on in my life and didn't. I had been abused physically and sexually by my grandmother at the earliest of earliest ages. My first recollection was at probably two. I'd had other experiences with um, being attacked on the way to school. And by the time I was 12, I was standing in line at a grocery store. And if I felt threatened, I would bite people. That should have been a real clue to people in my family that I needed more help than they were giving me. And I'm absolutely positive the reason that I did not received the help that I needed was because of the financial aspect of it. The fact that mental health was not in our insurance coverage. And I think that's where I really want to have my voice be heard because it is obvious in today and everything that is happening and, and things are being aware of that the insurance companies need to change their view about this because like Lucretia was saying, I've done a lot of study. I've done years and years and years of study to try and help myself <laughs> because I could not, I didn't have insurance. I couldn't see people enough to make a difference in my own mental health. But you know, how can I move this trauma energy that's in my body? I needed help and I didn't get it until I was well into my 40s. And so my children got to be raised by a mother who bit people in line. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't do that in your 30s. Or your 20s. Um, I will just tell you that I did things that I, you know, whatever it took to feel safe, I did, which were not always appropriate things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just, just, you know, this is going out to the world and to spare my children any embarrassment. I will not go any further other than just know that there were things that I, if I would have had help, would have made me a much better mother and made me a, a, a little less scary <laughs> to people in the grocery line. But <laughs> anyway, all of my family outside just my own children, my children, my daughter suffers extreme anxiety. She feels like she's going to crawl out of her skin if she even has to be around people. It's very hard for her to be. And I was like, wow. Where did that come from? Because my trauma doesn't exhibit itself like that. And so I wasn't aware at all that she had those kind of things going on as a child because of the stigma. I mean, you know, we don't talk about the fact that mom's whack-a-doodle. 
you know, and we don't talk about the fact that Amy's feeling wackadoodles. She wouldn't share <laughs> what was happening with her because it's a shame kind of thing. You know, I'm so grateful that we've been able to come out of that part where you can't, you can say, you know what? We, we all need to talk to somebody. We all need to get the help we need. And we all need the ability to feel understood. My cute oldest son, he will remind me all the time, mom, I'm not your therapist. You don't get to share with me all the things wrong with dad. Please don't. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm grateful that they're able to talk to me now. But the other part uh, is you know, my husband was in the, mil in the military. He did a lot of things behind the Iron Curtain that were very, very difficult for his mental health once he had a stroke. He'd had training and had help to deal with those experiences before his stroke. But after his stroke, his brain got jumbled and so all of these things are really really difficult for him to deal with and because of the stigma attached to mental health he refuses the help that the that people are trying to get him to to do but he won't see them but we did find someone who he does feel safe with but it's it's only been in the last year, but it was years, you know, it's been years that he's dealt with this PTSD and he wouldn't because of the stigma. So it wasn't, it wasn't until this last year that he's finally decided, yeah, I can't deal with this anymore, but yeah, I most want to advocate the fact that we do need to see people that are all all of these experiences that we have in childhood, if we were checking in often with people who are skilled could be alleviated. I, I just wanted to share this and I'm so pleased that this is happening, that my sister lost her daughter and her son-in-law and her five-month-old, I'm not five, she was five-week-old um, babe in a car accident three and a half years ago, but there were uh, four other children that were in the car with them that also suffered severe physical trauma. But I loved, they were at the um, Children's Hospital in Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I, I went to go stay with them because one grandma couldn't stay with four kids. So we all, as family members, came and helped stay with the kids so that nobody was alone with these kids. But part of that process was so enlightening to me that they did have people come in every day to help them with their mental and their emotional health. And I thought, why, why can they understand that, you know, at the children's hospital, but they don't understand that at the doctor's office or, I, I mean, you know, I just, yeah, I was very, very pleased to see that that was being done. And my sister is 
continuing that practice of taking those kids to get the help that they need every week. Practically, one of those children are seeing their therapists for their mental and emotional health, as well as their physical therapists for their physical rehab. So we're making progress, but that's kind of where we're at, at my house. Thank you. Well, you know, I think it's just so amazing to notice all the things that have been mentioned so far. How, you know, when I sent out a note to this group chat that communicates with all of the women who are connected to mothers who know her, who are signed up in that group chat and just said, I need five volunteers. And it was as simple as this to talk about the value of normalizing mental health check-ins. And I had an earlier episode today with three other amazing gals and then you three ladies. I just think it's so incredible to notice that I've learned things about each one of these women that I thought I know them pretty good. I know some of the hard things in their life. I know some of the things in their life that have been challenging for them, but you know, each one of them shared something. I'm like, I did not know that. Did not know that part of your story. And there's so many parts of our story, right? And so many things that play into how our mental health is affected. And then the outcome of what happens to us and those people that we love when those things affect us. So one thing I hope that you're hearing that I didn't expect to have come out so openly is that these women are very courageous with a topic that a lot of people think, yeah, I'm fine saying mental health is important, but I'm not fine telling you why it's important. And a lot of times, if you are struggling with any kind of mental health history in your family or experiences you've had, some of them may be very similar to what you've heard in our episode today. You might be thinking, those four women that just randomly volunteered, she didn't even say, if you're people who have at least five issues that are mental health worthy, I want you to come on this podcast. I just said, I just need some volunteers that this is probably a good example that you might be having things in your own life that maybe either you have similar stories or, or experiences or that you have never addressed because of what's going on in your story and maybe some limiting beliefs that you have around the topic of mental health. So if we as mothers are the ones that do all of the scheduling for the health of our families, if we're those people that get that on the calendar, that make sure people are immunized, make sure people have the, you know, things that they need, and we don't even feel comfortable talking about our own mental health, it'll be tricky for us to transition to a place where we know how to talk about mental health with our kids in a way that's very healing and helpful and normalizing, you know? So 
So I just invite you to consider if you're listening that you're really normal. Even if you're having the thought that sounds like I am really messed up or this family is really messed up because we kind of can hear things like that because of the stigma and the shame that's been around mental illness. So I just want you to be sure to notice how powerful that is to think what we've heard so far is evidence that everybody's got it's pretty powerful. So you ladies, if we could go around one more time and if I could ask you to share something that you, gosh, because you all shared, here's a little bit of how mental health and my thoughts about it personally, how it was addressed with me personally and how that affected my family and the outcomes in my life. But now what's something that you have learned about mental health and the importance of mental health, aside from your personal experience of evidence of this is why mental health would have been so helpful for me to have been comfortable getting that or other people noticing I needed it or my family of origin helping me to understand that that was important, you know, but what's something that you've learned about the importance of mental health that you've been able to kind of level up in, in sharing with your people that you love? What's something that you've noticed that's different about you, even in the way that you approach it or think about it or feel about it? How would you say that your children and people around you, even if it's because I had a mess, I prevented the mess for everyone else. That's what we hope would happen if, as moms. That usually doesn't happen. There's always going to be a mess because this is called mortality. How have you approached that whole mental health and how you talk about it, even if it's to yourself? Just anything that's been healing that has brought you to a place where you can be much more compassionate and understanding of the human experience that mental health is a thing. So Sarah, we'll start with you. As you were talking, I just thought of so many things because I've been on such a deep explorative journey with, you know, becoming a certified brain health coach this May and June, I certified as a mental health first aider. So I'm certified to be able to be a first responder, if you will, as a mental health person for adults and for youth. And in that process of all of this different exploratory work and doing some graduate school work as well, I've learned to not take it personally. So if someone around me that I love is having de is experiencing depression or anxiety, it's not something I need to fix for them. I, there's no amount of making it better that I can personally do that that may ultimately make it better or not better. Yes, there's some things we can do to support them, but I no longer feel the absolute need to jump in and try to fix it, try to make them happy, try to make them less anxious. Like that's not my job. And being able to not take it personally is such a relief. Also recognizing that in the brain, there are actually 
the brain actually changes in structure. So we had some brain scans done for one of our child at Amen clinics and being able to see that the brain was actually shaped differently because of the mental health things they were experiencing, or I don't know if you say because of, but you could see in the brain that this child has ADHD. You could see in the brain, this child has a highly addictive tendencies. You could see in the brain that there were either some drug problems or some, or the mycotoxin, like the, the mold had, ex, had, had caused a physical change in the brain shape. And so, you know, not everybody can afford to see those brain changes, but being able to see that allowed me to say, mental health isn't just like some silly thing. Like mental health isn't just something we're making up in our heads. You know, people say, oh, it's just in your head. Well, actually, yeah, it is. It's in your brain. Your brain is actually having, your brain is broken. And so being able to, you know, when people have a broken arm or a broken leg, you can see it. Their arm is broken. They're in a cast. Well, because we don't see the broken brain, people write it off. And the, the education I've given myself by doing these different certifications has allowed me to have so much more empathy because I realize they have a broken brain. They're experiencing some trauma in their brain. And I, I can come in and I can be supportive and empathetic and understanding. I don't have to fix it for them, but I can, I can hold space for them to be okay with who they are and what they're experiencing. And so I've become someone that people reach out to now because they know that I'm safe, that they can tell me anything and I'm not gonna judge them at all because of what I personally have experienced, but also because of my education. Excellent. Thank you, Sarah. Lucretia. The one thing that comes to mind, and Sarah alluded to this, and I just want to point out that your brain health is so intricately tied to your physical health. I, I think, you know, when my brain's working well and I'm, and I'm feeling good and so on, my body functions better. And I, I was a sickly kid. I mean, I, was, I, I just was always sick. You know, there was a time when they took people's tonsils out. I had my tonsils out when I was nine. I, you know, I just, I, I just seemed like, you know, with my monthly cycle, I was always sick. I just, I, I, I felt like I was going through life, you know, just never really feeling great. And a lot of that now I realize had to do with my brain that, you know, I just hadn't ever really processed a lot of stuff. And I had, you know, I didn't didn't talk about some of the other abuse that I suffered, but keep that in mind that, you know, we need to have an integrated approach to our health. And so with Maurice saying that, it, it just makes sense that as we take care of our mental health, we're also going to be taking care of our physical health. And that so many of our physical problems you know, have to be also dealt with on a mental level, whether it's changing, you know, making lifestyle changes and so on, because people, you know, um, do things to soothe themselves, whether it be, you know, 
so, so many behaviors are often self a way to self medicate in, in a way to self soothe to self medicate and I think the more support and and so on so that's the one thing I'm just more aware of and so when I start to not feel well physically I also start thinking okay well you know what else is going on what you know with my brain and and that kind of thing and so and I like what Sarah just said about the fact that at times you know our brains are broken and we're trying to fix our brains and that's you know that's not an easy process <laughs> and then you know and you've also brought in to and we haven't brought in here but with you know Maurice's work with we also have someone that doesn't want us we haven't an adversary that does not want us mm-hmm. to feel good and so <laughs> we've got you know when we get to the point where we're, we're being we're doing to ourselves what was done to us too because some of us grew up with messages that weren't kind like you know that was mentioned before and 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 you know sometimes we internalize those and then they're, they're used against us I'm not saying we do it to ourselves but they can be used against us and then until we come become aware of that it's it's not helpful. I think, you know, there's just so many things, but that compassion piece that you talked about, Karen, so important, having some compassion for ourselves, compassion. But again, like Sarah said, though, that we don't have to take it personally. We don't have to, you know, it, 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 we don't have to be the, the person that fixes it. There, there's someone else that, can, that that's more powerful than we are that can fix that. So, so excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing up that piece of, you know, we all have a common enemy who will do, you know, try to be so subtle, so relentless and very purposeful with his efforts to affect our experience with our mental health in a way that does get us stuck, broken, misinterpreting and to a place where not only is it, you know, something where we're miserable because we have a common enemy, but we're miserable because we need some mental health support and we've got some limiting false beliefs in that arena. And yeah, it makes sense that our enemy would want everybody to feel a lot of shame about talking about that, right? Uh, A lot of avoidance of getting any help. We often talk about shining light in dark corners and how much healing that brings to us and to other people when we can do that. So thanks for that, Lucretia. Kelly, what would your final thoughts be as far as, yeah, how have you leveled up and what have you learned and how's that? Oh, I think the most important thing that I learned was that I'm worth it. I'm worth it. You know, it goes back to that. You know, if the cabin pressure drops, put on your mask first before you try and help everybody else. And that's, that goes against our nature as mothers. I know you always are like, no, I got to take care of my child first. But I've learned as I've been stepping up and learning how to cope with my own mental illnesses, that as I take care of myself, things are much better with my relationships with my children. Mm -hmm. And that those things are 
important to understand that yes, it might take money out of the vacation fund, but my kids are not going to want to go on a vacation with a wackadoodle mom. They'd much rather go on vacation with a mom who's calm and and not go as often <laughs> because she's getting the help she's needing. Anyway, so that's that's one of the major things that I've learned is that I am worth it and that I need to do that. I also really have just want to piggyback on what Lucretia said. I've really learned that for me personally, and I'm not saying this, everybody's got a different situation with their chemicals in their brain. But for me personally, when I evoke my, I'm the crusher attitude, when it comes to brain bullying, when I'm hearing those horrible things in my head from the adversary, I love that I've been taught how to be the crusher. I just want to just kiss the feet who taught me <laughs> all those things Karen brought in. <laughs> yeah. because, uh, I just don't get bullied nearly as much as I used to. And so just being able to control my thoughts and control my life and, and just so you know, I really haven't bitten anybody for a very long time. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. And yeah, next time I see you, you might not bite me, but you might try to kiss me. I might. Right? Yeah. Only your feet, though. That's not too bad. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I know I'm going to see Kelly, I better wash my feet first. That'd be a good idea. Yeah. <sighs> well, thank you so much, ladies, for the service the awareness, the thinking that you've caused and invited everybody to come and join us in our thinking. Like, let's just consider this because maybe we've only considered it just right where we are all by ourselves. Isn't it healing to know that there are women that are experts at mortality, just like you are, because they showed up, got a body, and started living every single day of mortality to this point, just like you have. And mental health is part of all of that. It's pretty important. So thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in our next episode. Thank you for being with us today, Warrior Moms. I invite you to make a donation at the top of our website, mothersyouknow.org. Any amount you can afford today will help us keep Mothers Who Know services free for all moms. Thank you so much for your generosity. Moms, remember your divine identity and great worth. Continue in your courageous efforts to support God's great work. Notice the miracles you see every day, the evidence of the Savior's love and mercy. Find the message in your message. Reach out and share the principles you learn in Mothers Who Know with other mothers. You are God's secret weapon for good in this world. Finally, a few pieces of information for you. I recommend a few other podcast channels to listen to. Like Dragons Do They Fight podcast, that includes interviews and stories with those that have struggled and overcome something in their life. And the Eternal Warriors podcast, hosted by two YSA age young men who share their story, teach valuable lessons, and interview special guests. You can follow us on our social media pages. 
on Facebook under mothersyouknow.lcs or search for Mothers You Know and on Instagram, username at mothers underscore who know. Last, if you would like additional support and training, please go to mompowertraining.com to sign up for the next eight-week Mom Power Training class for all moms. You can also go to the Mothers Who Know website at mothersyouknow.org or our parent company, Life Changing Services, at lifechangingservices.org to learn more about our excellent services to support you and your loved ones. Thank you so much for listening today. Please feel free to email me anytime with questions or to set up a complimentary 30-minute appointment to visit. Please email me at mothersyouknow at lifechangingservices.org. Looking forward to hearing from you amazing moms. See you next time.